Good morning. Before Rod teaches on Hagar and Ishmael, he wanted us to kind of review or hear again the promises that God had given Abram earlier in Genesis. So that's where we're starting today. So from Genesis 12, 1 through 4, hear this word of the Lord. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And then from Genesis 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great, very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And, Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do we believe God's promises? Do we believe God's promises in the middle of our pain? Do we believe the promises of God when we don't understand life at all? Do we believe God's promises when God is silent? Do we believe God? My prayer for us this morning as we enter into Genesis 16 is that the Spirit would minister to our hearts and remind us of who our God is, that we can stand firm on the promises of our Lord, that He is a God who knows us, He is a God who sees us. He is a God who keeps his promises. He is our rock. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we enter back into Genesis. And I wanted to bring you back to the setting. You have to imagine with me, here's the promises of God that Cynthia just read to us. There will be a child that will be born unto you, a seed from you. And then from that will be generations. There will be so many you can't even count the stars. So this word had come to Abram and then from Abram to the camp. 
and yet time had passed. God had been silent since then. And there was no child at the time. And you have to imagine the setting. It is, it is tent city out in the middle of the desert. We used to go every year with our high school students and we would go to uh, Mexicali, Mexico. And we'd set up about 2,000, 3,000 tents with all these different churches that set up in Mexicali. All right next to each other. Thousands of high school students. And there's something that you come to find out about Tent City. Nothing is private in Tent City. You can hear the conversations. You can hear noises that you don't want to hear. That's Tent City. And that's what's going on with Abram in the desert. Conversations are going on. Everybody's business was everybody else's, and you you would be sure that there were murmurings that were taking place. Who will be the heir to Abram? What about Sarai, princess? She obviously must be barren. Abram deserves a wife who can give him a son. And here's what would happen. They're settled, Abram and his, and his whole clan are settled in an area that the, the trade routes would come through, the camel caravans. They would travel between Egypt and, and the north and the east. And so it was very customary as they would come there and they would be refreshed. The camels would be given water. They would gather supplies to continue their journey. And what was customary is that you would go and, and visit the leader, the patriarch, which was Abram. And what was customary was to to go in and tell us about yourself. How old are you? How long have you been here? What is your name? Was always asked. My name is Abram. And that name meant father of many. Now you can imagine the next question. Oh, father of many, how many children do you have? None. Can you imagine the smirks, the looks? Can you imagine the conversation back in the caravan tents? How many times he must have had to go through that because there was lots of travelers coming through. Asking that same question, father of many, how many children do you have? None. Every time it was asked, more painful. And so like a Shakespearean play, the the scene is set. Sarai, the barren queen who cannot bear her king, a child. We've seen many dramas of such state. Abram, the patriarch, the leader the father of many who had none. Was he a real man? And so are the days of our lives. It truly was ripe, the setting. It was seasoned for sin by the enemy and by our flesh. Or... It could be fertile ground 
for our faith. You know, God is often silent so that he can see faith operate in his beloved. But you know what? For Abram and Sarai, enough was enough. And so it became seasoned for sin. We couldn't wait anymore on the promises of God they had concluded. And so is the story. 16, chapter 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so Abram had been living in Canaan ten years. And Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Things weren't working out like they had hoped. They had heard the promises of God, but they couldn't wait anymore. And so now they decided we're going to take matters into our own hands, and especially Sarai. Here's her thinking. I don't have children. The problem is, I cannot bear fruit. I'm not able to produce offspring. I do not have children. But what I do have, in my own abilities, is I do have Hagar. That's a response in the flesh. That's a response that looks to my resources to handle the situation. A faith response looks like this. I don't have children, but I do have God's promises. And so I will still wait because he is a God who cannot lie. And he is a God who keeps his promises. God has restrained me. He has closed me up. I can't produce. You know, I love this text because it's an honest wrestle with God. Don't you go through that? I do. Don't you struggle in your journey? You go, Lord, this doesn't make sense. She's arguing with the Lord. She's wrestling with Him. She's angry. She's confused. She's blaming. There's there's fear. There's incredible shame. I'm a, I'm a barren woman. There's big doubts about God's promises. And so the scene is very raw. And you understand Sarai's struggle. But she decides, since it's not fair, it's not working out like I, I thought it would, let's go with plan B, which is our way of making God's promises happen. I hear God's promises, but we're going to make it a little bit quicker here. He's not responding in my time frame of life. And so therefore, we will help him along. And she shows up kind of with the same tone as, as it was said in the garden. 
Did God really say there would be a child that would come from your seed, Abram? And that seed meant between Abram and Sarai, from your loins, from your oneness with your wife. Oneness was an initial thing of God, by the way. From your oneness would come numerous children. Did God really say that? Or did he really mean we can figure out another way? It's an honest wrestle. But she goes with plan B. Maybe God is allowing us to use what was called the Hammurabi law. That law was saying you could take your slave, you could give them to your husband as a wife, and the offspring of of that relationship would be given back to the barren woman and would be basically taken in as a son, as an heir. That was a law. It was an accepted law of the time. So maybe that's the way God wants us to go. You can see the reasoning going on. And the scriptures say, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. The contrast is, he didn't listen to the voice of God. It's the same again as we see in the garden, isn't it? Eve took the fruit, and as Adam stood there and listened to all that was going on, and then she offered, and as he received from her listening to how good the fruit was, he took and ate as well. Abram listened to Sarai. Here's one thing we know about her and about our wives. I'm sure she brought many times great counsel into the family. I'm sure she was full of wisdom. I'm sure she, she brought things to the table that made Abram go, wow, that's a great thought. I'm sure she was a woman who was wise. And I'm sure Abram listened to her before. It would be foolish not to listen to the wisdom of our wives that God has given us. You know, many times when I ask folks who've been married for many years, I go, you know, what is the key? What's it been like for you? How do you, how do you make it through? Because a lot of people don't. And you hear a lot of the same jokes, but... The one that always sticks out is three words. Yes, yes, yes. That's all you say back to your wife and everything will go good. No. Here, Abram should have said no, no, heck no. Uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. But instead he said yes, yes, yes. You know what? I know this is hard to believe. But sometimes our wives sin. Sometimes they fall short in their journey with the Lord. Abram did nothing to draw his beautiful bride back to the Lord. Eve and Sarai were moving into sin. They were taking matters into their own hands. They were no longer trusting God. 
And we see in both cases with Adam in the garden, with Abram, they were silent. Hands off. We don't see them washing their wives with the Word of God. Reminding them of the the promises of God. Even as husbands, when we still don't get it, we don't understand what God's doing. But bringing our spouse to a place of saying we need to, to hold on to the promises of God. It goes both ways, right? We need to sharpen each other in our marriages. When one of us is going down a path that is ungodly, we need to bring back the promises of God and the truth of His Word. But Abram didn't say anything. Hands off. No movement towards faith. And so the scene happens. He goes and he... I don't know how much Sarai had to twist his arm to go be with Hagar. She's probably a young Egyptian girl. But Sarai is hopeful that somehow there would be offspring. Here, take Hagar. Go sleep with her. Maybe we can start a family. You've got to imagine how painful this must have been for Sarai. Again, this is Tent City. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows Hagar is going into the tent with a patriarch to conceive a child. Everybody knows what is going on, and and so the scene takes place, and then you can imagine from there, every day, is Hagar pregnant? Can you imagine the conversations around the tents, around the campfire? Do we know yet? Is she pregnant? Who knows again how many times they were together, every time more painful to Sarai. And all the conversation and all the focus now shifted from princess to Hagar. And you see in this story Sarai fading out of the scene. I can imagine just the pain and the depression and the hurt And yet, somehow holding on to, this might work out. Maybe there'll be a child. When we sow to the flesh, we will reap consequences of the flesh. If you choose sin, you will reap the consequences of that. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap the Spirit, life in Christ. Look at the consequences. Verse 4. He went and slept with Hagar, and she did conceive. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said, Your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. 
right away she conceives, and when she conceives, she has contempt for her mistress, for Sarai. You know, all that Abram had is family and the blessings of God that were promised to him at this time are now just destroyed. There's absolute turmoil in the family and in the camp. And now Hagar, the Egyptian slave, is in essence looking down her nose upon Sarai, the princess, the wife of the patriarch. The word has the idea of she gave no value now to Sarai. She, she had a little concern for her. Sarai must have felt that she now had no weight. Everything again had been focused on Hagar, and she's fading into the distance. The princess now became a pauper in the camp. Poor and empty, valueless. It also speaks of Hagar that this act that took place was dishonorable in her eyes. And you can imagine all the Egyptian slaves again in this camp, this tent city, talking about what Sarai forced upon Hagar. That she must go and be with Abram. It was dishonorable. Consequences right away when we choose to sow to the flesh. And you know what happens when we sow to the flesh and we think that we're going to make things better by living this way, and then all of a sudden our plans that we thought would work when they fail, what do we do right away? We blame others. It failed because of you. It's somebody else's fault that I am suffering this consequence. We do that, don't we? We're so quick to blame when things fall apart. May the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. It's your fault. Can you, can you imagine Abram just scratching his head? You came to me, wife. You said, here, take her. Do this. I want you to do this. So I did, but it's my fault. Dear John, I hope you are still not angry. I want to explain that I was really joking when I told you I didn't mean what I said about reconsidering my decision not to change my mind. Please believe I really mean this. Love, Susan. What? You make no sense. Abram, the patriarch, is absolutely dumbfounded. May it be on you. And then she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. All of a sudden, she's bringing God into the picture. She hadn't been checking in with God at all. And now she's saying God's going to be our judge. I guess if I was Abram at the time, I would have been, you bet he is, sister. And you are going to lose this one. He will be the judge of this. She's blaming everybody. She's blaming Abram. She's, she's blaming God. She's blaming Hagar. And then once again, Abram, hands off. 
He's hands off again. He doesn't say anything. He says, you take care of the mess, Sarai. I'm not entering into it. You do it. And so what does Sarai do? She fights back. And she treats Hagar unjustly. You humiliated me, Hagar. Now I will humiliate you. Hagar, you harlot. You will be known in this camp as trash. I will make sure in all of my power, and trust me, I have power, you will be destroyed. And she treated her harshly. Oppressed her. Vengeance is mine, says Sarai. You know what? This is an incredible spiritual low for Sarai. This beautiful woman of God, truly, she is known all throughout scriptures as this amazing, honoring, powerful, beautiful woman of God that we should look to as an example. But you know what? In this moment, it was a real dark spot in her spiritual journey. You've been there? You've been walking with the Lord? And then all of a sudden, wow, you are in a dark place. And God is calling you back to live trusting in his promises, to, to rely on him to live through you, to, to seek forgiveness and be restored. And we will see with Sarai later in Genesis, God's grace pour out on her. But here is a low moment. A dark place. And so the result is Hagar fled. Her name means one who is in flight. One who becomes a stranger. She has no place. She has no home. She's, she's out on her own. And I want to ask you this question. As Hagar is on the run, and as she leaves camp, what do you think her view of God is? Almighty God, at this moment. Hagar, the Egyptian slave who came into the camp of God. What do you think her view of God is? Harsh. A God who could care less. A God who just uses people to get his way. A God who has people who are hypocrites. Can you imagine her view? because of the relationship with Abram and Sarai. They had every chance, Abram did, and Sarai, to bear testimony about the goodness of God. Hagar's brought out of, of Egypt. The gods who were harsh and angry, raw, was one of the gods. But you know what? They missed it. They blew it. And she fled but praise God. You know what is something about our Lord? He bears witness to himself. He's not confined to our shoddy testimony sometimes. He is the same God who always loves, the same God who pursues. He is the same God who sees and hears our cries. He is the same God who saves. It's not dependent upon us although he wants to use our lives to reflect his image. 
His pursuit of the heart of man does not depend on us because we're still on this journey. And trust me, sometimes we give terrible testimony to who our loving God is. But we go, God, help me. I want to do better next time. But we can also go, you know what, God? Even though I messed up here, I know you're still pursuing that person. He is the God who reveals himself even when we mess up. And he shows up. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai said. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel answered, I will increase your descendants and they too will be too numerous to count. And the angel said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery and he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her at this place. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And this is why the well was called Berlahai Roy. It is still there between Kentesh and Bered. And she ended up bearing a son. The angel of the Lord to the one who was in flight found her. She didn't realize the whole time that the Lord was right on her footsteps. And what type of state did he find this broken servant? You know what? She read nothing left. She's on the run. She's going back towards Egypt. She's lowly. She's needy. She's in crisis. She's broken. She's on the way to Shur. Shur means wall. And I just thought that was perfect. She's running away and she just hits a wall. Nothing left. She can't do it anymore. And I'm sure she felt like it didn't even matter if she was on this planet. Who would care if she was gone? And the angel of the Lord appears to her. This is the first time we see the wording, the angel of the Lord. And I believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ showing up to Hagar. Angel means messenger of the Lord, speaking with. The reason I believe it's pre-incarnate Christ is because it says the angel of the Lord. And then the angel speaks, I will surely multiply. And she responds to him, he is the God who sees me. She recognizes something about the nature of this angel. Pre-incarnate Christ who didn't show up to mighty Abram, who didn't show up to Sarai, but who shows up to this broken, valueless Egyptian slave. First time. 
Doesn't that speak something to the character of our God? The God of the oppressed, the God of the broken, the God who hears your cries, a friend to the friendless. He loved Hagar as much as he loved Abram. And he puts her, he knows her place. He says, servant of Sarai, which is a lowly position. And so she's forced to, to face into her position. And I love this, this question, where have you come from? What is the trouble that's going on in your life? And where are you going? And she responds to where I've come from. I'm fleeing from Sarai. But if you notice in the text, she doesn't answer the question, where are you going? I think like many of us sometimes, we go... I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what's next. I'm an absolute, just going, Lord, I don't have a job right now. I, I don't know where I'm going. She faces her lost condition. And right at this moment, the Lord dives into her life and he reveals how much he knows about her. You know, our Lord often meets us at the spring on the way to nowhere, when we're running away. And I think he's calling us back to respond to his direction. Let me, let me point you to a place where you can have life. Even though it might be painful for you, let me, let me draw you back into relationship with, with Sarai, because I will, I will bring you life there, even as you submit to her. Go and humbly place yourself under. And then God blesses her. And it is a blessing, even though Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. It's a blessing. Your offspring will be many. You're a sinner that is undeserved, but I love you right where you're at a grace that will be never-ending. Here's what I know about you. The angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar. I know you're pregnant. I know you're going to bear a son, not just a child. I know this one who's inside of you. I want you to name him after me, the character of who I am. God hears Ishmael. He's the God who sees And he is the God who hears. And what does he hear? He hears the cry of the broken and the oppressed. That is the character of our God that is being revealed here. It's just like the woman at the well. You can imagine Jesus in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well going, I feel like I've lived this scene out before. Here's this broken woman comes in the middle of the day. She's a Samaritan. She has nothing And the Lord ministers to her there, saying, I provide living water if you would drink of me. I know all about you. I know you've had five husbands. I know that the one that you're with right now isn't your husband. I know you. And he ministers to her core, just like he does with Hagar. I know you, and I offer you life. And I offer you life in me, and I will be your foundation. 
What happens to Hagar at this well, at this spring? I think her life is radically turned upside down. Just like Paul on the road to Damascus. Running and kicking against God. Hagar fleeing from everything, angry. And I think he transforms her life as he says, I hear your cry. I see you. Now respond to me. And I think she's transformed because she acknowledges and she names the well. She says, this is the well of the living one who has seen me and all that's going on in my heart. And then once she has proclaimed who he is, what does she do? She responds in obedience and she goes back to Sarai. That's a follower of God. One who claims Him and the one who responds to His life. He is a God who has seen me. He is a God who knows me. I have encountered the Lord Almighty and I believe, even though she didn't know at the time, His Son, pre-incarnate. And now experience the love and the grace of God. A tenderness like no other to a broken, oppressed slave girl from Egypt. Are you at a place where you're crying out to God? I want you to know this morning, He hears your cry. He's a God who knows you deeply. And He's a God who responds to you. And in an act of worship, she names that well. And she begins a a life anew. And that's what God calls us to, to. To begin a life anew. Some of you may have been running. And God is is offering His grace to you. Some of you may have been in a place like Sarai and, and Abram who lost their way of faith for a little bit. And God is calling you back to obedience and faith in Him. Because He is the God who sees. He is the God who hears. And He is the God who loves us. Amen.